Hi there, everyone. A great big welcome once again to Old Time Boat 3 here on the Yesterday USA Superstation. My name is Rudy Stark, coming to you from Timmins, Ontario, Canada. Today we're going to listen to the Cisco Kid, originally aired in the 1950s. And in this episode, a stagecoach driver uses a black kerchief to tip off his criminal cohorts to gold shipments until the Cisco Kid and Poncho catch on to his murderous plots. So let's listen to this episode of The Cisco Kid. Here's adventure. Here's romance. Here's the famous Robin Hood of the Old West. Cisco, the sheriff, he's getting closer. This way, Pancho, Bavano. The Cisco Kid. Cisco Kid in our gripping story, The Black Kerchief. In the Old West, the schemes used by road agents or stagecoach robbers to signal Confederates were many. One of the most ingenious of these schemes was used by Big Mac Tulsa, who worked from the inside as stage driver. Big Mac Tulsa was an expert driver. He had a hearty manner, a booming voice, and no more conscience than a striking rattler. As our story opens, the stage for Mountain Rock is about to start its daily run out of the town of Sandstone when... Tulsa! Hey, you, Tulsa! What do you want, Rig? Hold it for a few minutes. We're putting a box of gold aboard. Gold, huh? How much? I don't know, but you got to haul it over to Mountain Rock in time to make the eastbound train. All right. Maybe I better go along with you. Last time you had a haul of gold, you got held up. Ah, you don't need to go, Riggs. You're sending along a shotgun, messenger. What more do you want? Look, Tulsa, I ain't only the owner of this stage line. I'm the sheriff, too. So if I want to ride... All right, all right. It don't make no difference to me. I was just trying to save you a mighty dusty ride. And what with you telling me all the things you got to do around here? Yeah, you're right about that. I guess I don't need to go. You can plan to start in five minutes. I'll be right back. Where are you going? Going to get me another kerchief to take along. So blasted much of that alkali dust that one ain't enough. Well, hustle. Remember, you gotta make that trade. Me, Robley, this is a waste of time. What do you mean, a waste of time? Riding clear over here from Mountain Rock on the chance Tulsa may be carrying a box of gold. We made out all right three weeks ago, didn't we? 25,000 split three ways between you and me and Tulsa. Yeah, but... As far as I'm concerned, I don't mind riding over here a dozen times or so for nothing. Well, we can pick up that kind of money on one good ten strike. Uh, quit your grumbling. Get them horses over behind the boulders. All right. Hey, here comes the stage, Aim. Just round the bend down below. Be right with you, Rubley. Is Tulsa wearing the black kerchief? Yeah, by thunder he is. 
He's got gold aboard, Haines. Good. I'll get that shotgun messenger. Make sure that rifle's in working order. Yep. Yeah, she's all ready. And remember this, Haines. We fire a few shots at Tulsa, and he fires a few shots at us after he gets the messenger. Just to make it look right to any passengers he might be carrying. Yeah, I know. Then he drives the stage on back to Sandstone, reports the holdup. Given and... the wrong description of us. Now, the stage is getting closer, Haim. Better draw a bead on that messenger. Yep. I got him dead center. You say when, Rubley? Not yet. Let him get a little closer. All right, now. Nice. Got him plumb center. Pull that mask over your face and come on. Stop them horses, driver. Oh, oh. Turn up the passengers, Haim. Right. Come on out of there, mister. One passenger, partner. All right. You, driver, throw down that box. Why, you blasted coyotes. Throw down the box, I said. Well, I got no choice. I'll throw down the box. There you are, you buzzards. Now I'll throw down these guns on you. Look out, partner. Grab that box and let's get out of here. That driver's a shooting fool here. Ah, confound him. I got a great mind to go after him. No, you better not drive right. One of those bullets hit me in the shoulder. Oh, no. Well, by thunder, that's too bad, Mr. Winter. I'll get you right back to Sandstone in a hurry. Get into the coach and we'll go. Yes, we, we better. I don't think it's serious, but I'd like to get to a doctor. <laughs> back! Back! Pancho still not know why we ride to the town of Sandstone, Cisco. You do not know, Pancho? Pancho not know. Well, I'm certain I told you, Chico. Pancho not remember, Cisco. Very well, then I'll tell you again. And this time, try to remember. See, I try to remember. We are riding to the town of Sandstone because Senor Riggs wants to talk to us. What about, Cisco? What about, what about? Well, huh? The message did not say. No. But I imagine he wants to talk to us about the holdup of one of his stages some weeks ago. Senor Riggs wants us to find the bandidos? Oh, it's possible. He wants us to help. But Senor Riggs the sheriff, too, no? See, he's the sheriff, Pancho. Mm -hmm. But after he bought the stagecoach line, his duties as owner kept him from working full-time as the sheriff. Pancho, I think the people's like this. Well, the only one who has suffered has been Senor Riggs himself. See? Therefore, there have been no complaints from the people. No complaints from the people. I understand Senor Riggs has offered to resign as sheriff, but the people of the county will not have it. Mm, here come the stagecoach Nazis, go. According to the schedule Senor Riggs sent us, the stage should not be coming this way. It should be on its way to Martin Rock. That's right by here, Cisco. Hey, let us try to find out what is wrong. Oh, the oh, look, oh, look, oh. What is the matter, Senor Driver? None of your blasted business. Yes! Driver, I tell you much then, Cisco. No, he did not for a fact, Pancho. Come, we'll follow the stage in and find out at the station. Up, Diablo, go! Go, Logo, go now, go, go! Oh, Diablo, ho! Ho, Logo, ho! Well, let's leave our horses here, Pancho. Uh, Mingle with that crowd of people at the stagecoach station. Stagecoach get in, Cisco. See, and it attracted a lot of people to the station. Let us wait right here and listen, amigo. Wait right here and listen. Oh, there's Senor Riggs, Cisco. See, I see him. He's helping a passenger out of the coach. Uh-oh. 
And the passenger wounded, no? Say, si, listen, Pancho, listen. Somebody go get the doc. I will. The wound isn't a bad one, but it better be looked at. What's the story in this house, sir? Story is, it was held up by a gang of road agents, Riggs. Must have been five or six of them. All big fellas. I only saw two, but... Rest of them was over behind the boulders. They got the shotgun messenger, Riggs. And then I opened fire on them. Of course, they shot back, and one of their bullets must have hit Mr. Winter here. Then they run. Go on, Tessa. That's about all, except I had to throw down the box. I tell you, that was a nerve-wracking experience, Riggs. And I got to have a day off. Well, that's what you said after the last hole. Well, that's what I'm saying now, too. Now, here comes the doc. What do you think of that story, Cisco? I do not know, Pancho. Let us go talk to Senor Riggs. Senor Riggs! Howdy, Cisco. Howdy, Pancho. Buenos dias, senorita. Buenos dias, senorita. Mighty glad you got here. I've just had another one of my stages held up in Ross. Say, hey, we were just listening, senor. May we talk in your office? Sure, sure thing. Come on. Come on, Pancho. Here I come, I come. Sit down, boys. Gracias, senor. Gracias, senor. Cisco, I need your help. You may have our help, senor. Gladly. Now, you heard Tulsa say maybe that there was... Five or six bandits in that gang. See? So we got that much to go by. Now... At I... the moment, Senor Riggs, I am not as interested in that gang as I am in your driver, Tulsa. Huh? He's not nice to us, Senor. He said he opened fire on the bandidos. Well, that's right. And that the bandidos ran away with the gold box. Yeah? If there were five or six bandidos, why did not at least one of their bullets hit Senor Tulsa? Oh, I don't know about that, Cisco, Please but... let me finish, Senor. Also, why should a man with courage enough to fire on five or six bandidos have to have a day off to get back his nerve? See, si, senor, why, 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 why? Uh, that's huh? the way Tulsa is, Cisco. Did you have no shotgun messenger on that trip? Uh, sure. Tulsa told me he got shot down. I sent a couple of the boys to bring in his body. I'll be back tomorrow, Riggs. Uh, well, who are these two hombres? One of them's a Cisco kid, and the other's his partner, Pancho. Oh, they're here to help. Un momento, Senor Riggs. Uh, we are here to pay our respects to Senor Riggs, Tulsa. I see. Well, anyway, be back tomorrow. Why'd you break in on me like that, Cisco? I thought it best that Tulsa not know too much, Senor. Well, now, look here. If you suspect him, you're wrong. Perhaps. Nevertheless, if you have no objections, Pancho and I will trail him and find out where he goes tonight. For as far as I am concerned, that hombre's story does not ring true. It's me, Tulsa. Open the door, Robley. Why not? Come on in. Howdy, Haim. Howdy. Howdy, Robley. Yeah, uh, Thunder, it's a long ride over here to Mountain Rock. Yeah, the back room of this cafe is a good place to meet. Only hombres like us use this cafe. Uh, here's your share of the gold in this little sack, Tulsa. Here's the figures on how much gold is in the box. Look it over. I will in a minute. That Cisco kid's around here, boys. Cisco? Huh? How do you know? He was in Riggs's office, talking with him before I left. I got a hunch he's going to help Riggs on this hold-up business. Why, that's easy. We'll just get Cisco. I ain't so sure it'll be easy, Robley. That Cisco kid's a mighty bad hombre. Mighty bad. Is he on his way over here, Tulsa? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Just thought I'd tell you about him so you can be on the watch for him. I sure ain't gonna worry about him. 
If he shows up here, there's plenty of hombres around here would like to gun him down. Now, come on out in the cafe. I'm hungry. Come in here, Cisco. See, behind that cafe. Yeah. And there is the horse. Uh -huh. That is Tulsa's horse. Oh, they have a hole. Oh, look, a hole, look, a hole. This the outlaw's cafe, no? See, I believe so, if I remember correctly. Come on, let us go in, Pancho. Uh, hombre in there, no? Probably. It's just getting dark, Chico. About the time he would want to eat. He want to eat? <laughs> of course I know you want to eat, amigo. <laughs> you always want to eat. Always. All right, come on. Your guns loose in the holsters. We might have trouble in this cafe. What do you do about the Tulsa hombre, Cisco? Got no proofs. The time being, all I want to know is who Tulsa is with. Then we will make our plans accordingly. There, the Tulsa hombre over at the corner table, Cisco. Hey, do not stare at him, Pancho. We'll take that table over there. Tulsa with two hombre, Cisco. They look at us. There goes Tulsa out into a back room to the cafe. He must think we did not see him. Well, the hombres come over here. So, uh, you're the Cisco kid, huh? That is what I am called, hombre. What about it? Yeah, what about it, hombre? You ain't welcome in here. Do you two own this cafe? We don't have to own it. Hey, boys! This here's the Cisco kid. How about it? We want him snooping around in here? Well, let's throw him out. Do not throw us out, hombre. Do be careful. Cisco's passenger tell us about you, well, maybe. Pancho, get off. A stagecoach passenger, huh? Well, we're mighty glad to know that. The passenger told us nothing, hombre. Mother of me, Pancho. What Come on, right? boys. Let's go. Get your back to the wall, Pancho. We'll show these hombres. Quick, they can throw us out or not. Get after him, boys. Hey, that's you. the gunman's bullet found its mark. In just a moment, we'll return to The Cisco Kid. The Cisco Kid in our gripping story, The Black Kerchief. The stage driver, Tulsa, working with the road agents, Robley and Haim, wore a black kerchief as a signal to the waiting bandits that he was carrying gold on the stage. Whereupon the bandits shot down the messenger and to fool any passengers, pretended to exchange shots with Tulsa. In the melee, the passenger, a man named Winter, was wounded. But Tulsa's story of trying to fight off the bandits did not ring true to the Cisco Kid. And he and Pancho trailed Tulsa to the Outlaw's Cafe in the neighboring town of Mountain Rock. A fight ensued, 
A shot was fired at Cisco. And now... Cisco! Cisco, you shot, no? No, the bullet missed me, Pancho. Where is that hombre who shot at me? He ran out the door, Cisco. Oh, the hombre ran out, too. Let us fight our way out of here, amigo. This way. Out the back door, Cisco. Hey, Pancho. Where our horses are. So you would stop me, hombre. We'll see about that. All right, the way is clear, Pancho. Make a run for it. Pancho, run, Cisco. Nobody here in the back room, Cisco. Toss on those other two hombres have left. Come, out this door. To our horses, Pancho. Why the hombres leave so quick, Cisco? On account of something you said, Pancho. You talk too much. What Pancho say, Cisco? You said that stagecoach passenger told us about those bandidos. Well, Pancho say maybe, Cisco. Pancho think of Pancho say that. Bandidos look guilty, no? What you have done is to put that passenger's life in grave danger. Danger? Now those bandidos will think he could identify them and they will try to kill him. Oh, there, oh, 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 oh. We must get back to Sandstone. We must get there as soon as possible. Fuck, Go, 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 go. You're sure that's what Cisco's partner said, Haim? Of course I'm sure. I got ears, ain't I? That's what he said, Tonka. I heard him, too. He said that stagecoach passenger told him him and Cisco bought us. Yeah, and that means about the holdup. Well, he may have at that. That's probably the reason Cisco followed me over to the cafe. Because that passenger suspected me. I don't know why he would, though. Now you can't never tell, Doctor. And we can't afford to take chances. Only thing to do is to finish the hombre off. That's right. Where is he, Doctor? Before I left, I found out he's going to stay over to the doc's house tonight. That wound was worse than I thought. Which one of us got him, anyway? I did. Make it look more like a holdup if you can take back a wounded passenger. But he don't know I got him. He thinks one of you hombres did. Another ten minutes and he won't do no more thinking about anything. Let's get there. Come on. Hurry up. Come on. Get We're back in the sandstone, Cisco. Where's the passengers? We'll have to find out from Senor Riggs. He may be at Senor Riggs' house. We will see. Oh, they have a hole. Hole, 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 hole. You stay here, Pancho. Yes. I will go to the door. Huh? You're right there. Ah, oh, evening, Cisco. You found out anything? I do not know yet, Senor Riggs. But tell me, where is that passenger staying? Oh, Mr. Winters? See. Why, he's at the doc's house tonight. The doc thought he'd better... And where is the doctor's house? It's the house at the end of the street. On that side, Cisco, but I... I'll be back later to talk with you, senor. Right now, there is no time to spare. Wait a minute, Cisco. I am sorry, senor. There is no time to wait. Down the street, Pancho. Down the street. Go now. Which place we go, Cisco? The doctor's house. There are three horses at the side of the house. The bandidos are already there. We'll ride around to the back. This way, though. Come on. This way, though. Go. There are the hombres, Pancho. Where? Just about to raise that window. Into them, Diablo. Come on. Into them, Diablo. Come on. Cisco, get off his horse. Oh, kid, we're glad to get down from his horse. Talk with you, Tulsa, like this. Get him over hey. yeah, I'll get him. I'll get the fat one. Go on, I'll get the fat one, Joe. I'll get... Uh, kick Cisco's feet out from under him. I do not think you will, hombre. Watch. Hit him, Tulsa. Hey. Oh. Now, come on. Let's get out of here. Quick. Pancho. Pancho, are you all right? Pancho, all right, Cisco. Pancho just gets gun whipped a little. 
Oh, good thing Barnes, you got a hard head. What happened to you, Cisco? Those hombres tripped me up, Pancho. Hmm? I was looking at you. Afraid you had been badly hey, hurt. Hey, what's going on? What's going on here, Cisco? As Sheriff Senor Riggs, you had better put a deputy or two on guard here at the doctor's house for the rest of the night. Well, what for? Because three hombres came here to kill the stagecoach passenger, Senor Winters. What are you talking about? Who were they? One of them was your driver, Tulsa. What? Oh, you must have that wrong, Cisco. No, Senor Riggs, I have not. I am convinced that that hombre is in with the bandidos who have twice held up your stagecoach. Mm, Panjo is sure too, no? But as yet, I have no proof. Uh, what'd you get there, Cisco? Part of a neckerchief, Pancho. A neckerchief? I must have grabbed it from around Tulsa's neck as I was falling. A uh, red kerchief. Yeah, it's the color Tulsa always wears. He was not wearing a red neckerchief this morning, senor. He was wearing a black one. Come to think of it, he was at that. And come to think of it, when I told him he'd be carrying gold on the trip, he went and got another kerchief. I am glad to know that, Senor Riggs. It may be just the thing that will trap that hombre. Now, let us go to your home and plan out exactly what we are going to do. Stop here, Pancho. Yeah. From here, we can see everything that goes on. Oh, there, oh, look, oh, look, oh, look. Cisco got the field glasses? See, si, Pancho. Uh, why we come up here, Cisco? You heard the plan we talked about last night, Chico. We come here to look down on the holdup, no? See. Si. Uh-huh. Senor Riggs was to tell Tulsa he was to carry another box of gold. Si, 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 si. He was also to tell him that you and I had left the country. He si, left the country. And finally, he was to tell Tulsa that he had complete confidence in him. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So now... Uh, there's the stagecoach, Pancho. Mm, can't you see the stagecoach, Cisco? Those bandidos should be right below us if this is to be a holdup. Uh, what color neckerchief this Tulsa wears, Cisco? It's a red neckerchief. Red neckerchief. Uh, wait, wait. Wait, 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 wait. No, he is changing it. The other neckerchief is black. There's no question, Chico, but what that is a signal. It's a signal. Come, we'll ride down the trail. Yeah. This time we will have our proof. Uh, Cisco, get those bandidos. We will see. Let us get down there, Pancho. Up, Diablo, come on. Go, Lobo, go now, go. Here it comes, Aim. No shotgun messenger this time. Uh, that's kind of funny. Don't seem as if Riggs had sent out a box of gold without a messenger along. Uh, maybe he couldn't get nobody to go along as messenger. What with two of them being shot down lately. Yeah, that might be it. Anyway, Tulsa's wearing the black kerchief. That's the signal. All right, now. Hold back them horses, driver. Yep. Ho, ho, Throw down that box. <laughs> sure thing. Only you ain't got to be careful of what you say, boys. I'm teaming this trip alone. No passengers, neither? Nope. Marry a passenger. There's your box. Might as well open her up and make the split right here. Hey, what's the horse carrying on about? We're going to find out, hombre, right now. Into them down, come on. Why, thunder is a trick. You're right, hombre. Come down off that snake. Hey, let go. Now we'll see about you. I'll kill you for this. That I doubt. Stand back away from him, Let me get a shot at him. I'll stand back. Oh, not you, Cisco, hombre. Not while Pancho get the bullwhip. No! Pancho grabbed the gun with the bullwhip, no? <laughs> One more punch will fix you, hombre. And now for you. Easy, Cisco, easy. I Very well, then. Get your hands up, all three of you. Quickly. Gone. Nice work, Cisco. Be 
and the boys got here a little too late to see the fun, but I guess you got things under control. Here are your prisoners, Senor Riggs. And I believe that with some questioning, you can recover much of your stolen gold. Cisco, I'm going to get you for this. Where you are going, hombre, you will have no chance to get anyone. And I would venture a guess that never again will you wear a black neckerchief. Si, Pancho. Those bandidos not trouble us no more. Oh, I'm sure they will not trouble us, amigo. Now that they are out of the way, what would you like to do? Well, sometimes, Cisco. See? Si? Sometimes, Pancho likes Cisco to learn Pancho to swim. To do what? To swim? See, si, to swim. But, amigo, you have always been afraid of the water. Pancho got a scheme now, Cisco. Pounds, you can swim a long way. You think you can swim a long way? See, si, when Cisco learned Pancho to swim. Well, of course, I will teach you to swim, but what is this scheme of yours? Well, Pancho go into the river, Cisco. See, si, into the river. Pancho swim for the other shore, no? You will swim for the other shore, see? See, si. Pancho swim hard, Cisco, but very soon Pancho get tired. Well, what will you do when you get tired, Cisco? Pancho stop swimming with the arms and the legs. But if you stop swimming, with your arms and legs, then you will sink. No, no, Pancho not sink. Pancho keep going with Pancho's head. You'll keep going with your head? See, si, with the head. Well, I do not understand, amigo. How can you keep going with your head? It's easy, Cisco. Whenever Pancho get all tired out, see, si? Pancho's head begins to swim. Oh, Pancho! Oh, Cisco! <laughs> So ends another exciting adventure with O. Henry's famous Robin Hood of the West, the Cisco Kid. Sure to listen again for another thrilling adventure of The Cisco Kid. Cisco Kid was played by Jack Mather, Pancho by Harry Lang.
memory. Hi, this is Kim Bragg, and up next is my good buddy, Walden Hughes. Here's Jack Armstrong from January 10th, 1941. Strong, the all-American boy. Wave the pipe cars and high, boys. Show them how we stand. Every shark can be champion, known throughout the land. We hear, rightless of champions, bring you the thrilling adventures of Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. Okay, you table tennis shark. Let's see you get this one. Doggone it, I missed it again. Hey, listen, Charlie, where'd you learn to play this game? You're beating a hide off me. Say, you didn't expect a win from me, did you? Why, heck, I've been practicing my strokes all winter. And I've been keeping in training, too. <laughs> you mean you've been training to play table tennis? Oh, that's the funniest one I've heard all week. Sheepers, I'll bet you'd want to get in training before you shovel the snow off the front steps. Well, you're the trainiest guy I ever met. Listen, I didn't get in training especially so I could play table tennis with you. I just naturally am in training, and, well, I think it helps me play a better game. You see, I've got a training program I follow all year round, and that way I'm always ready to play any game that comes along. Yeah, but training is hard work, not the way I do it. Listen, Joe, did you ever hear of the three training rules of Jack Armstrong? They're a swell system to follow, and it's easy as anything. You mean that training program they tell us about on the radio? Oh, those Jack Armstrong rules sound too doggone easy to me. They can't be much good. Well, any training program that's okayed by athletes like Bob Feller and Gene Sarsen is good enough for me. Hmm. Maybe a good training system would help me if I gave it a chance. What do you have to do, Charlie? Well, it's just like Franklin McCormick tells us on the Jack Armstrong broadcast. I'm sure that every fellow and girl will get real benefit from following the three training rules of Jack Armstrong. That's why I'm advising you to, first, get plenty of fresh air, sleep, and exercise. Second, use lots of soap and water every day. And third, eat a genuine athlete's training breakfast in the morning. Lots of those crunchy toasted whole wheat flakes called Wheaties with plenty of milk and your favorite kind of fruit. Yes, sir, that's a breakfast of champions you should be eating regularly. It's brimming with keen flavor, the extra special Wheaties kind that makes you want to come back for more and more Wheaties. It's packed with real get-up-and-go nourishment to help you get a champion start for the day. I'm telling you, the sooner you get in training and eat Wheaties for breakfast, the more fun you're going to get out of life. Be sure to ask for some Wheaties right away, will you? That's well. And now, Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. Jack Armstrong is about to leave his horse escort and start on foot into the wild hill country, the Zamboanga Peninsula in Mindanao in the Philippines. With him are Billy, Betty, Uncle Jim, and the Filipino Michelle. Jack and the others are in search of an old moral peddler whom they think knows something of the missing Professor Loring. They followed the main trail on horses loaned by the army troops stationed at Pettit Barracks on the coast. But now they're leaving the main trail and starting off on foot along a rough, narrow trail that leads to the village of Molita. Right now, the saying goodbye to Lieutenant Rawlings, who, with a squad of soldiers, will take the horses back to Pettit Barracks. Listen. <laughs> Listen to those horses, Nay and Winnie, Lieutenant Rawlings. 
I think they're glad they're not going any further into this wild country. Most of all, let's get the up here on the hills, Jack. I think they smell the wild boars that roam around through the thick underbrush. Chilton, Jiminy, Lieutenant Rawlings, don't tell me that there are wild boars in this country. There certainly are, Billy. And they have long tusks. Don't ever dispute the right away with one of them. They're mean customers. I understand they attack horses sometimes, Rawlings. That's right, Captain Fairfield. You have to keep an eye on that pack horse of yours. You mean a wild boar will actually attack a horse? He will if he gets a chance, buddy. Now, take that pack horse of yours. He's got a heavy pack strapped to each side of the saddle. He could keep one wild boar away with his heels. But if two or three of them attacked him, he couldn't fight them off. And he couldn't run away very fast. We'd better let Michelle and the pack horse go in front of us, Uncle Jim. Then we can keep an eye on the horse. We'll do that, Jack. Now keep my hunting rifle ready for action. Are there any other wild animals that are dangerous, Lieutenant Rowling? There's just one other wild animal you'll have to be careful of. That's a tamaro. Oh, I've heard of them. They're like rather small buffaloes. Yes, but there's nothing small about their horns. They're wild and dangerous, and they'll charge you without warning. Holy smoke. In the jungle swamps, it's crocodiles, and up here it's wild animals with horns. Not to speak of a native. <laughs> well, you'll find the natives safe enough, Billy, if you don't antagonize them, and if they haven't started their uprising yet. Well, Rawlings, we'll try not to antagonize them, but we're going to find that old mortal peddler. And don't forget that you're going to keep an eye open for any sign of gun smuggling in the interior. They won't suspect you of being interested in that. All the hill tribes know me by this time. You bet we will, Lieutenant Rawlings. It looks as though this moral peddler is mixed up in that, too, as well as with the disappearance of Professor Loring. Well, except for one thing, I guess you're all set to start off. You've got your equipment on the pack horse, and you've got that pedometer I gave you on your belt, haven't you, Jack? I'll say I have. See it? I set it at zero, and from this moment on, I'll know exactly how far I've walked. You certainly will. If you use that pedometer with that map I gave your Uncle Jim, you won't get lost. You said that we were all set to start off except for one thing, Rawlings. What is that one thing? That's a little surprise I have for you from Colonel Brewster. Clark, bring those walkie-talkies here. Chupin, Jupiter, what on earth is a walkie-talkie? <laughs> walkie-talkie is the Army slang name for a little portable radio set we use. It only weighs a few pounds. You strap it on your back. You mean you can actually talk to someone at a distance with a set as small as that? You certainly can. You can talk from 10 to 15 miles, depending on atmospheric conditions. Uh, here, Clark's bringing them now. See how light and portable they are? That's mighty kind of you, Lieutenant. Those sets ought to prove mighty useful. No, I hope they will. Clark, give one set to Jack and the other to Billy. Now, sling them over your back and buckle those straps in front. Uh, here, that's the way you do it. This is a mighty light radio set. I'd hardly know it's on me. They look like toys, don't they? Oh, I just love the name, walkie-talkie. The soldiers gave them that name. They walk with them, they talk with them, so there you are. They're run by batteries, of course. And there's no tuning dial since they broadcast on just one wavelength. Oh. Where's the microphone, Lieutenant Rawlings? Yeah, the mic's in that canvas pocket on the right side. Yeah. Pull it out. That's the way. And that little steel telescopic rod extends upward as an antenna when you want to use it. Let's try them out, Jack, just to make sure they're all right. Okay, Billy. Pull the antenna rod out. Now I'll speak into this little mic. Hello, Billy. Oh, nothing happened. <laughs> hey, you both forgot to turn on the switch. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Reach back. It's at the bottom of the pack. Uh, here it is. Turn your switch on, Billy. Now we'll see how it works. Hello, Billy. <laughs> Jumping. Jimmy, it scared the daylight out of me, Jack. The voice is coming from my undershirt. I'll try mine now. Can you get this, Jack? I'll say I got it. Hey, this is marvelous. If we have to be separated and get into any trouble, we can yell to each other about it. And here's an extra set of batteries. See, they're quite small. I'll take those, Rawlings. It was very kind of Colonel Brewster to think of lending us these little radio sets. Colonel Brewster thinks that you may bring back some very important information for him, Captain Fairfield. 
That's why I want you to have everything you can spare. If someone is really smuggling rifles to the Hill Tribe, you'll be able to get information better than any of us. They won't suspect you. They'll think you're just after some news of the missing Professor Rawlings. Well, that's my real mission, Rawlings, but you can trust us to keep our eyes open. This little trail goes directly to the village of Melita, doesn't it? Yes, it does, but there are several forks. Now, the first fork is a mile and a half from here. Take the left-hand trail there. Now, keep to the left for two miles more. At that point, bear right. You'll have to keep track of these distances with your pedometer, Jack. I'll watch you closely, Uncle Jim. And the natives of Molita won't be friendly to you, but I don't think they'll give you any real trouble. Well, now, I'll take my horses and men back to better barracks. Goodbye, and good luck to you. Goodbye, Lieutenant Rowling. Come on, men. Back we go. Sit it out, Lex. There we are. Goodbye. Good Goodbye. 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 Well, here we are, alone on the Zamboanga Peninsula of Mindanao. Hardly alone, Billy. There are many thousands of natives scattered through these hills. Moros, Visayans, Manobos. And some of them are pretty fierce, too, Billy. Oh, but they can't be as fierce as the Moros around Conobango, Jack. Well, some of them are, Betty. The tribes around Lake Lanao are the fiercest tribes in the islands. And let's get going. Michelle, you lead the pack horse in front of us. If any wild boys try to attack him, I'll take care of them with my hunting rifle. <laughs> Me lead pack horse, Captain, very fierce. But if you shoot, you make sure you hit wild boar. You not hit me. Oh, you don't have to worry about Uncle Jim's marksmanship, Michelle. He can drill a dime at 50 yards. <laughs> me not worry. Me just careful, that horse. Come on, horse. We go. Look at the horse pour the ground. I don't believe he wants to go, Uncle Jim. He's going just the same, Betty. We can't carry tents and cooking equipment and supplies on our back. Oh, look at him. They're up. Those packs will slide off his back, Uncle Jim. Oh, stuff pretty tightly, Billy. Here, Michelle. I'll lend you a hand with him. Hey, steady there, Seabiscuit. <laughs> <laughs> that good, Senor Jack. You know how I handle orders. He's gone now. Hey, me lead him. Good work, Jack. Now, let's get going. We've got quite a hike ahead of us. This isn't much of a trail, Uncle Jim. Kind of hard to follow it along the trees of this hillside. It's a lot better than no trail at all, Billy. We may find ourselves going across country with nothing to guide us but a compass and Jack's pedometer. It's climbing uphill, isn't it, Uncle Jim? That's right, Betty. According to this map I have, it's not much of a map. We climb this ridge ahead of us, then we drop down into a valley and cross a stream, then go up that distant ridge you see to the east. And then we drop down to the village of Melita, Betty. Yeah, and then if the wild boars and tamaros don't get us, we find the old moral peddler who sold Professor Long's watch to that man in Zamboanga. Uncle Jim, if that moral peddler does have anything to do with stirring up these tribes against the government... What do you mean, if he has anything to do with it, Betty? We know darn tootin' that he has got something to do with it. No, we don't, Billy. We just think that he may be stirring the tribes up. But, Uncle Jim, we know that Yates is smuggling in rifles to them, and Yates is tied up with that spice dealer in Zamboanga, and that spice dealer got the watch from the moral peddler. <laughs> You'd never convict the moral peddler on those grounds, Billy. Most of that's hearsay and guesswork. But there's one thing we do know for sure. We know that the peddler must know something about Professor Loring. Well, at least we know that he somehow got hold of Professor Loring's watch. <gasps> look at the pack horse ahead, Uncle Jim. He stopped. He won't go any further. Oh, look at his ears go back. And look at him sniffing the air. I'll bet he sees something or smells something in the bushes. Well, watch Michelle, Jack. He's looking at something in the bushes. He sees something. Maybe he sees a wild boar or a tamaro. Stand to one side, Betty. Now get this rifle ready, just in case we need it. Oh, look at the horse. He's running up again. Oh, look out. He's broken loose. He's galloping this way. Oh, he's running away. He's running toward us. Oh, well, there, boy. Watch him. Don't let him run over you. Okay, grab the rein up, Oh, look how that horse quiets down when Jack speaks to him. 
It beats me how he does it. Why, he's actually coming back. Jack is leading him back. He's quieted down, Uncle Jim. Hey there, Michelle. What started him off that way? Well, he smelled wild boar. Me saw wild boar in bushes. Wild boar? A wild boar? Is he still there, Michelle? No, he's gone now. Me take all Senor Jack. He all right now. Okay, Michelle. But next time you hang on to that rain. I don't want to be dragged along like that again. Well, that was magnificent, Jack. You hadn't stopped him. We'd have lost our packs. Say, Jack, what are you looking at? Look, Uncle Jim. Look up on top of that ridge ahead. That's where I'm pointing. Don't you see something flashing in the sun? Where, Jack? Wait a minute. There is something flashing there. It's gone now. No, it's back again. Jump and Jimmy, you don't suppose... Take a look through the binoculars. Let's see now. It's just to the right of that distant tree. There, I'm on the spot. Yes, by Jove, there is something there. But what is it, Uncle Jim? What is it? It's a man, Daddy. Maybe a Moro. He's signaling something to the valley beyond. He's signaling by waving his barong about. That's where the flashes of sunlight come from. But what do you suppose it means, Uncle Jim? It means that this trail is being watched, Billy. It means that when we arrive at the village, they'll be expecting us. But there's nothing we can do about it except be doubly on our guard. So, let's get started. <laughs> That's mighty queer, that the natives should have a lookout posted to watch that trail. What do you suppose it means? But there's one thing certain. There's something very odd going on in that village or they would never have a sentry posted. There's excitement of some sort ahead, you can bet on that. So be sure to listen in, all of you, at the same time tomorrow for another exciting episode of the Zamboanga Adventure with Jack Armstrong, the All-American Boy. Now, there's a world's champion breakfast waiting for you every morning this week if you'll get some Wheaties in a hurry. Eat those toasted Wheaties flakes with lots of milk and fruit, and you're having a genuine breakfast of champions. Be sure to get those Wheaties now. Have you tried Wheaties? They're more wheat with all of a brand. This is Franklin McCormick saying goodbye until tomorrow for General Mills, makers of Wheaties, breakfast of champions, who have just presented another episode of Jack Armstrong, the All-American Boy. Oh, just buy Wheaties, the best breakfast food in the land. Wave the Piper Hudson High, boys, show them how we... All right, well, then step up to the microphone and do your thing. This part of the Yesterday USA interview with Nick Beal. I got thinking, maybe most of our audience don't realize that WXYZ, the studio, was a little different than most radio stations. Could you explain that? Yes. Uh, most people in Detroit think WXYZ is in the Maccabees building. Well, it's WXYT now, but at that time they went out near Belle Isle Bridge in the Alden Park Manor area uh, on East Jefferson, down from Detroit toward Gross Point, and they found a mansion, and it was for sale, and they went in and looked at it, and they said, gee, this would make a nice radio studio. So in the bedrooms upstairs, they put offices. That's where Jack McCarthy's office was as station manager of WXYZ, also the voice of the Green Hornet, which is a key part in what's going to happen when I get to Hollywood. But downstairs in the beautiful foyer, that's where the secretary was, 
and there was the big, uh, like in the Gone with the Wind, the big staircase going upstairs, and then they closed off the door to the dining room. You had to go back toward the kitchen and then in toward the dining room, and the dining room was the radio studio. And they put red leather benches all the way around it where actors could sit down, drapery, heavy drapery, facing the Detroit River where East Jefferson was, and the kitchen, the butler's pantry, which is where the butler would have been to have all the silverware and plates there. Then part of the kitchen was down toward Detroit on that side, and then it went up some steps into the cooking area of the kitchen, and uh, that's where Billy Hensterbeck was, the engineer, and sitting up above him in a little perch was Charles D. Livingston or Fred Flower Day, depending on what show it was. Then stepping down from there, coming back, there was the client's booth outside the north window of the studio so they could sit there and watch the show. Uh, the only problem I had was one microphone dangled from the ceiling made for people that are six feet tall. And at four or six, I had just one heck of a time. So they found a little ammo case there. They said it was World War II. I think it was the Civil War. <laughs> and uh, I just kept that under my bench. And then when I was on, I'd pick it up by both handles and bring it up to the microphone and, and uh, use that on my little corner of the microphone. I still had to hold the script up very high to be on mic. But that's what I enjoyed about Hollywood. I always had my own mic in Hollywood. Any, uh, any, before we move to Hollywood, do you recall any funny incidents that the old sound engineers tried to pull or any gags that you want to relate to our audience uh, before we move on? Yes, this, this was while they were on the air, and it was Ernie Winstanley and Jimmy Fletcher. Uh, this is when they were 17 years old, and they were sound boys instead of doing parts on the radio, which they did when they got back from the war. That's right. And, I mean, Jimmy Fletcher really had a tough time in France, in Germany, uh, with just terrible stories. And Ernie Winstanley, on his first assignment, got lost and captured, but uh, which they never let him forget. And they were, Paul Hughes had a big farm up in Brighton, Michigan. And uh, he would bring 25 dozen eggs down, and all the guys would pay him a quarter for the dozen eggs. Remember, this is 1945, 46, 47. And uh, they would keep them in the colder area of the sound room where they, the, they had the little boxes with the gravel in it, and they'd have the uh, po coconut shells, and, you know, they'd make all the noise of the horse's hooves and the door to shut, and they had all the little gimmicks for sound effects in there. Well, they were on the air live with a Lone Ranger, and Ernie Winstanley happened to see one of those egg carts sitting in the corner of the room. He opened it up, took an egg out, put it in Jimmy Fletcher's top weight shirt pocket, splashed it against him. Now he's at the table doing something. Jimmy Fletcher goes out, opens the front of his shirt, and sticks one down the front of his shirt, pats it. Now he's got egg all over his tummy. The next one goes back on the neck, down to the waist in the back. The next one goes in a pocket. The next one goes into the front of the pants. next one goes into the back of the pants. They were throwing them at each other, live network. <laughs> and I tell you, Charles D. Livingston, who had a bleeding ulcer, uh -huh. 
he was bleeding more and more, and he couldn't believe it. They got rid of 20 dozen eggs before they were off the air. There wasn't anything left, and they were told to clean it up, and they tried, but they couldn't. And you can imagine that was a Friday night. The next Monday, the hydrogen sulfide smell in that whole house, you they couldn't get rid of it, so they just told Ernie and Jim, come in, take everything out of there, hose it down, wash it, clean the walls, clean the ceiling, clean the lights, clean the floor. But it took months to get the hydrogen sulfide smell out of the ventilation system in that house. But I'll tell you, they really did a job on it. <laughs> and they were glad when they got drafted, believe me. <laughs> oh, how did you make the decision to go to Hollywood? Well, again, it was angel voices. Um, I, I thought with only three shows in Detroit, and I was working all the, you know, when they knew they had an adult and a graduate of Michigan State University, they started writing in the kids' parts, but uh, I thought, doggone it, if I, if I could, I'd sure like to go to Hollywood where there were 30 radio shows. And uh, I didn't know anyone in Hollywood, not a soul, but I decided I would think about it, and of course that's when the good Lord starts working. When he knows you want something, then he builds it. I was at Jan Andy Picture Studios where I did my first picture at age seven, and there were two guys from Disney's that needed some lines picked up, and I did the lines for them, and when we were finished, I said, you know guys, I'd sure like to go to Hollywood. If you hear of anything, call me, will you? And here came the angel voice. Mr. Beals, if you want to work in Hollywood, you have to live in Hollywood. So I thought about it, not knowing a, a soul, what chance I would have. And I then announced to Chuck Livingston that I was uh, in over Christmas. I was going to drive down to Fort Worth and spend Christmas with my parents and then go on to Hollywood. And... I, they all said, oh, don't do it, you'll never make it, you'll never make it, you'll never make it. Everyone told me the same thing. No one said, gee, you hope you make it, but except uh, Raleigh Parker. He was saying, geez, I hope you make it. Let me know on how, it, call me when things happen, will you? I mean, just, he was just a neat guy. Well, I got out there, and it was just a matter of going to AFRA and getting a list of all the radio shows and all the directors and, of course, all the secretaries that were trained not to let me see a director. But I was out there on the street at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I stayed until 5. I only had enough money to last me about three months and uh, found the most inexpensive place to live I could. And I was standing on a street corner one day wondering who I was going to call on next. And one of the guys back at... WXYZ had said, you know, we used to have an assistant director here named Ted Robertson. He works for McCann Erickson on the Dr. Christian show. Why don't you go see him? Well, I'd forgotten all about it, and I went in to see him. And he said, gee, I'm glad you're here. I think you'll do real well and uh, keep in touch and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't expect much in a hurry. But I'm standing on the street corner at 8 o'clock in the morning, sunset and vine, wondering where I'm going to go first. And another actor out of work was looking over my shoulder at my list, and uh, 
He said, you know, I don't see someone on that list. He's with Wade Advertising. His name is Forrest Owen. And he does One Man's Family and the Kurt Massey, Martha Kilton show. They don't hire many actors, but you might as well go in and see him. I said, where is he? He's that gray building right over there. Boom. I was over there knocking on the door. I went in there. His secretary, receptionist, is saying, well, Mr. Owen is very busy, but he might be able to see you in the middle of May. Now, let me look at my book. Well, I knew... May, I'd be back in Detroit if I didn't get work, but I put it down in my very empty date book and went back to the hotel that night after making calls all day. And there was... Here's Walden. Here is the ventures of Ozzie and Harriet from October 17, 1948. Take a look at this ad in Life magazine. Yes, I saw that. Isn't that Joan of Arc pattern simply beautiful? That's what I mean. No wonder everybody says, the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is international sterling. Silver with beauty that lives forever is International Sterling. From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of International Sterling, presents The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. pleasant family scene we find in the living room of the Nelsons at 1847 Rogers Road. The fire in the fireplace, Nick the dog stretched out on the hearth, Ozzie on the couch reading the evening paper, and Harriet curled up in the easy chair with a basket of mending. Ah, this is the life. Look here, dear. Hmm? What is it? I want you to see what happens to Ricky's trousers. Hmm, gee, they're getting pretty thin. How can he wear them out that way? He never sits down. Where are the boys? Out in the kitchen. I told them they could stay up a little longer if they promised to do their homework. Aren't these David's books here on the table? What are you fellas doing out there? Just getting the crackers. Why don't you go out and take a look, dear? Okay. Mm. Uh, how you doing, boys? We're okay. Well, Pop, this is a neat book. Well, wait a minute. What's the idea of reading comic books? Pop, these aren't ordinary comic books. They're educational. I suppose this first story is educational. Tommy Skunk lets him have it. <laughs> That's a swell story, Pop. Tommy Skunk well, Never mind, Ricky. Why aren't you boys doing your homework? Well, you don't understand, Pop. You see, we're supposed to do a composition on animals and birds and stuff. And these comic books tell you all about it. They're very educational. 
We're going to read our school books, too, Pop. Well, nevertheless, you promised to get right at your homework after dinner. I thought a promise meant a little more to you guys than something to be said and forgotten. We didn't mean to break our promise, Pa. We didn't think you'd catch us. <laughs> I don't think you understand, Pop. The teacher told us to get these comic books. They're very instructive. All I can say is school certainly is a lot different than it was when I was a boy. See, it's a lot better, isn't it, Pop? I'm not too sure, Ricky. Back in those days, everybody walked ten miles through snow. Well, that's not what I mean. When I went to school, we didn't have to learn about nature out of comic books. We wanted to learn about animals and trees and plants. We went right out into the woods. Yeah, Pop, but that was back in the old days. Oh, they weren't the old days. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> we don't have any woods around here. Well, of course we do. There are plenty of woods around here. The hills are covered with trees. Well, what was easier for you, Pop? Grandma Nelson told us that your Pop used to take you on hikes in the woods. Yes, that's true, he did. Many an afternoon, I remember Pop would come in and say, Let's go, boys, we're taking a hike. Off we'd go up to the Pines or up to Phelps Woods. I'll bet you had a lot of fun. Yeah, we sure did. There weren't many dads like my father. There aren't any now at all. You don't catch a skunk, Ricky. You run in the opposite direction. Why? Because they have awfully sharp teeth. Now, come on, let's get after that homework. And I mean the real school books, the spelling and stuff. Okay, Pop. Okay, Pop. Okay, Pop. Bacon smells good. Well, good morning. I was beginning to get worried. About an hour ago, I heard you say you were getting up. Oh, I was. It was cold, and I wanted another blanket. You better get a blanket for the eggs. They're cold, too. <laughs> the boys eating yet? Oh, hours ago. They're upstairs changing their clothes. Changing their clothes? For what? They're going hiking today. Oh. Well, it's a nice day for a hike. Me, I think I'll do a few things around the house. Maybe I'll try out that new couch on the porch. It looks pretty comfortable. Well, perhaps I didn't hear the boys correctly, but aren't you taking them up to Indian Springs for a hike or something? They said you promised them you would. I promised? Oh, oh, that. Oh, well, we were just talking last night. I, I don't think it was anything definite. Well, they're upstairs getting out their camping stuff. They seem to think they're going today. Say, maybe I did mention that we might take a trip up there. Oh, they'll forget all about it. You know how they are. Enthusiastic about something, and ten minutes later, it's all forgotten. Well, they seem pretty enthusiastic about the hike. Well, you know how they change from one minute to the next. Remember last summer? That rocket ship they were going to build and fly to the moon in it? They never did go. <laughs> I hope they won't be disappointed when they find out you aren't going to take them. Well, who said anything about not taking them? They still want to go after I finish breakfast. I'll be only too glad to take them. Oh, that's wonderful, dear. I'm sure they want to go. They've been talking about it all morning. As a matter of fact, it'll probably be a lot of fun for me, too. Get a little exercise, some of that clear mountain air, hear the brown leaves crunching under my feet. Oh, isn't it lucky? What's the matter? Well, I'm so glad you enjoy the sound of crunching. I just burned the toast. <laughs> <laughs> 
what a coincidence. I was just on my way over to see you. Oh, gee, I'm awful sorry, Tony. But as a matter of fact, I'm a little short myself this week. Oz, please. I just came over to pay a little neighborly visit. Here, have a cigar. Oh, is Captain... I mean, I mean, are you... No, no, Oz. No special occasion. <laughs> Here, enjoy a good smoke. What's the matter with it? Nothing's the matter with it. Golly, can't a man offer his neighbor a cigar without going through a third degree? Well, don't forget I know you pretty well. You sure it's not going to explode or something? Now, please, Oz. You have my word for it. Just a plain cigar. As a matter of fact, my boy Will bought it for me. Will? Isn't he a little young for cigars? I, I promised to do him a little favor this afternoon, and he bought them for me to show his appreciation. Hmm. I don't think I've ever seen this brand before. That tastes kind of strong. <coughs> oh, what a rope! This is evil, Barney. Now, please, Oz, don't throw it away. Will may be watching from the window. I don't want to hurt his feelings. Well, I know, Thorny, but it smells like burning rubber or something. Well, the boy's young yet. Doesn't know one cigar from another. But the thought was there. I promise to spend the afternoon with my kids, too, but I certainly hope they aren't out buying me cigars. <laughs> you know, you and I are different, Thorny, but most parents don't realize how important it is to spend time with their children. Oh, sure. Especially boys. You'll find that the average boy patterns his entire behavior after his father. Oh, there's no question about it. That's the reason we've got to be careful to set him a good example. Well, I always say... <laughs> I think you're right about that cigar, Oz. It smells horrible. See, I think so many parents make a mistake when they make casual promises to their kids and then wriggle out of them in, in uh, one way or another. It's no good. And then the parent wonders... <laughs> I, I think you can throw that away, Oz. Will probably isn't watching after all. It's okay. It's not bad. Now, take me, for instance. I promised to take my boys on a hike this afternoon, and nothing in the world could keep me from it. Hike? Oz, old man, you mean to stand there with that awful cigar in your mouth and tell me you don't know about the big professional football game this afternoon? Football game? Well, sure, down the stadium. Well, isn't that next week? Of course not. It's this afternoon. Well, I thought it was next week. I wonder if it's too late to get tickets. How can you go? You promised to take the boys hiking. Well, yes, but I'm sure they'd rather go to the football game. Don't you think? I don't know, Oz. Do they seem very infused about the hike? Oh, mm, yeah. As a matter of fact, Harriet said they've been talking about it all morning. Why don't I just ask them which they'd rather do? Well, don't you think that's a little unfair to them, Oz? In what way? Well, naturally, they'd know you'd rather go to a football game. So they'd probably give up the hike just to make you happy. But inside, they'd feel that their pop let them down. You really think so? Oh, yes, I do, Oz. A promise is a big thing to a kid. I remember once my grandfather promised to take me fishing. And at the last minute, he changed his mind and took me to a movie instead. A Tarzan picture. And you never quite forgave him? Not only that, I've never felt the same about Elmo Lincoln. <laughs> Since that day, I, I don't seem to enjoy his pictures as much. Yeah, I see what... Elmo Lincoln? He hasn't made a picture in years and years. They haven't shown those. Oh, didn't I tell you, Oz, we got a television set? Oh. <laughs> I think you're right about the promise, Thorny. Oh, I'm sure of it, Oz. What's one football game compared to setting the right example for David and Ricky? I don't know what I could have been thinking of. A promise is a promise. Now, that's the way I look at it, Oz. Even if we don't have a good time this afternoon, we'll have the satisfaction of knowing that we've kept our promises to our boys. Uh, where did you promise to take Will? I was a little smarter than you were, Oz. I promised to take Will to the football game.
here? We've been wondering, Mom, is Pop pretty good about keeping promises? Well, if you're worried about him taking you on the hike, he's looking forward to it. Oh, gee. What kind of talk is this? Well, Thornberry just said there's a professional football game today. His father's taking him to the game, and all we get is an old hike. Well, I'm surprised at you two guys. I think you have a pretty nice dad. You know, it isn't every father who's good enough to take his boys hiking. You don't want to hurt his feelings, do you? Well, golly, no, but... Well, do you think if we told him we'd rather see the game than go hiking and it'd hurt his feelings? You're taking a chance. Let's take the chance, David. <laughs> no, Ricky, we don't want to hurt Pop's feelings. I'll tell you what you could do. You might just hint that if he'd rather go to the football game, you'd be willing to postpone the hike. Hi, fellas. Hi, Pop. Well, beautiful weather for a hike, isn't it? Yeah. Nice day for football game, too. Uh, Ozzy, the boys have just heard that there's going to be a big football game at the stadium today, and they thought that if you'd like to postpone the hike, well, they'd understand. We know how much you like football, Pop. Oh, come now, boys. Do you think your old dad would break his promise? Besides, on a beautiful day like this, who wants to sit in a crowded stadium and watch a football game? Shut up, Ricky. No, sir. This is a perfect day for a football, for the, I mean, this is a day for a hike in the pants, the hike in the, the woods. What I mean is we can go to a football game any day, but, but a hike is something that, well, Indian Springs, you can just imagine how beautiful it is up there at, at Indian Springs. The Indians and, and Springs. Well, we just thought oh, that maybe... Oh, thanks very much, fellas, but don't you worry. Your old dad isn't going to let you down. No, sirree. A promise is a promise. What silver pattern has had scores of letters written about it? What silver pattern have women all over the country been waiting for? What Silver Pattern is back once again in a triumphant return to make a thousand dreams come true? The answer? International Sterling Superb Joan of Arc. Yes, Joan of Arc is back once again. The Silver Pattern you wrote about, waited for, dreamed of, one of the most magnificent patterns ever to come from the hands of the famous international sterling craftsman. Every detail is finished to perfection, back as well as front, and each piece is crowned with a gleaming classical shell ornament. Here, in every way, is solid silver at its loveliest. You'll agree when you see Joan of Arc at your international sterling dealers, so don't miss it. Tomorrow, see Joan of Arc, the silver pattern you asked for. Created by International Sterling. Ever since Ozzie Nelson was a little boy, his parents taught him courage, determination, and a sense of honor. These are the virtues it takes to keep a promise. When little Oswald was eight years old, he was courageous. Look at me, Sally. I can eat worms. <laughs> When he was 12 years old, he was determined. Don't worry, Mom. I'll finish eating this piece of chocolate cake. When he was 16, he had a highly developed sense of honor. Gwendolyn, 
I must confess, before I met you, I kissed another girl. Ow! Yes, Ozzy learned early. At 19, he made his first important promise. I promise to pay the Blue Sky Auto Finance Company the sum of $30 a month. And he kept his promise. In fact, the finance company made sure of it. And so the Ozzie Nelson of today has the same grim determination to keep his promise. He's out in the garage now, dusting off his hiking boots. Meanwhile, Harriet has put in her daily call to her mother. Hello? Hello, Mother. It's Harriet. Oh, hello, dear. How are you? Oh, not so good, dear. My feet hurt, and I feel a headache coming on. Have you taken an aspirin? Yes, but my feet still hurt. <laughs> I went to that modern art exhibit today, and I warn you, dear, don't go. That bad? Dreadful. Simply a collection of three-cornered apples, women with six arms and purple hair. <laughs> the only thing in a frame that made sense turned out to be the fire hose. <laughs> Today's the last day's exhibit, isn't it? Yes, thank goodness Well, I'm glad you told me Ozzy promised to take me, but now I won't insist on it How is Ozzy, dear? Oh, he's fine He and the boys are going on a hike today Today? Isn't he going to the football game? No, he seems to prefer the hike Really? That doesn't sound like Ozzy Well, frankly, I think he really wants to go to the game But he's just sticking to his promise you know, it's silly because the boys want to go to the game, too. Well, dear, if Ozzy wants to go to the game and the boys want to go to the game, why don't they just go to the game and forget about the hike? It sounds simple. It's as simple as ABC. But this is an XYZ family. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they'll all go on the hike and be perfectly miserable just so Ozzy can prove he keeps his promises. But you just said he promised to take you to the art exhibit. Yes, but he can't because it's closing today, and last night he promised the boys... Huh? Oh, Mother, I have a wonderful idea. Would you like to hear it? Now, Harriet, if it's some plan to trick Ozzy, I don't want to hear about it. Okay, Mother. You know I never like to interfere in your little family squabbles. So I'd rather you... Okay, Mother, I'll call you again. Goodbye, Mother. Of course, if you insist and you feel that you need my advice, Harriet. Harriet? Operator, operator, we've been disconnected. <laughs> football game today. Oh. I'm not promising, mind you. It's just an idea. Oh, boy, David. Mom's got an idea. Well, don't say it as if it was the first one I ever had. <laughs> What's your idea, Mom? Well, listen to this. Daddy doesn't want to break his promise to take you hiking. But it just happens that he made a promise to me. Gee, are you stuck, too? <laughs> no, it's just that... Oh, here he comes, boys. Let me do the talking. Well, come on, fellas. Get on your hiking clothes. Dear, I'm terribly sorry, but I think you've forgotten something. Well, I don't think so. Here's my hatchet, my canteen, my toolkit, my collapsible drinking cup. No, I don't mean anything like that, dear. I mean, you made a promise to me. What's that? Remember, dear, you promised to take me to the modern art exhibit whatever day I wanted to go. I promised that? Yes, don't you remember? One night last week. Well, we'll go sometime next week. Today's the last day. Oh, that's a shame. Well, it'll probably be around another year or two. No, uh, dear. Mm -hmm. You promised to take me. A promise is a promise. But, Harriet, I'm taking the boys on a hike. Well, you'll have to postpone the hike. A previous promise eliminates any promise made later. That's the law. That's the law. 
days that don't hit the table with that walnut cracker. Yes, the boys are looking forward to this hike, aren't you, fellows? Oh, that's okay, Pop. You go ahead and take Mom to the art exhibit. No, Pop, we don't mind. I'm sorry, dear, but you did promise to take me. I didn't promise, Harriet. I said I'd take you, but that isn't a promise. What is it, Pop? It's, uh, uh Ricky, your mother and I are talking. <laughs> you better change your clothes, dear. The fine couple of pals you two turned out to be. Well, gee, Pop, you promised Mom you'd take her. We can't do anything. Well, you didn't have to give up the hike so easily. You'd think you didn't even want to go. Gee, Pop. Why didn't you say something? You're only eight years old, Ricky. Why didn't you cry? <laughs> I suppose the art exhibit won't be so bad. Gives a man culture, I guess. You don't mind going, Pop? Oh, no. If it'll make your mother happy, I'm only too glad to take her. It'll probably be very interesting. Well, I'll see you guys later. Where are you going, Pop? Outside to see if I can't find something wrong with the car. Just getting the car. We're going downtown. To the football game? No, we're going to the modern art exhibit at Simon's Gallery. The art exhibit? Mm -hmm. Oh, I might have known. Those long, tapering fingers, no. those delicate hands, no. your white shirt splashed with paint. Uh, no, that's just a little ketchup. I had a sandwich. <laughs> No, no, no. I I'm only going to the art exhibit to look. To look? Uh, yes, I'm not a painter. You're not a painter? Well, no. Only a student. No. You live in a garret, a uh, tiny cubicle, a niche, a cubbyhole, a dump. Oh, but... Your room is so tiny you have to paint with your hands in your pockets. Why? <laughs> Where does my model sit? In the next room. You have to peek through the keyhole. Oh, I... <laughs> You work on your portrait day in and day out. No, it means fame. The world will soon recognize your genius. Just... And so you're paint and paint I... and paint. It takes form at last. Only a few more days. And that's finished. Your masterpiece is complete. What depth, what beauty. Your very soul is in this painting. Yes. Soon the world will see your path to your garret. And so to the little art shop around the corner, not knowing that someday this painting will be famous, the dealer offers you five dollars. <laughs> This is worth $5,000. But you're hungry. You must sell it. I won't. But you must eat it. I won't sell it. I'll eat it. I, 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 I'm, Mr. Nelson, what are you talking my about? Man, what do you think that cheap dealer offered me? It's, wait a minute. Annie Lou, you're all confused. <laughs> I'm going to the art exhibit just to look at the pictures. But I don't want to go even. Well, then why are you going? Because I promised Mrs. Nelson I'd take her. I'll take her, but I won't like it. Is that being fair to Mrs. Nelson? Well, she wants you to take her to the art gallery, and you're being mean about it. You want yourself. What happened to the kind, gentle, loving Mr. Nelson? He's at the football game. <laughs> well, you're cheating if you do something you don't believe in it. Think of your wife, Mr. Nelson. You're the Stanislavski method. What has Stanislavski been thinking of my wife? <laughs> it's a dramatic technique. You keep repeating something until you believe it. For instance, you say you're a leaf until you actually believe you are a leaf. You can do the same thing with the art exhibit. Keep saying, I want to go to the art exhibit until you want to go. I want to go to the art exhibit. I want to go to the art exhibit. Well? I think I'll try I'm a leaf. <laughs> Oh, 
just out for Mrs. Nelson's sake. Keep repeating it. I want to go to the art exhibit. It'll be, it'll be fun. I want to go to the art exhibit. It'll be fun. You can do it, Mr. Nelson. You're strong. You're brave. I'm strong. I'm brave. I want to go to the art exhibit. It'll be fun. You're a liar. No, I'm not. I'm not. You're a liar. 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 You're a We'll be better off at the art exhibit indoors. I, I think it's going to rain. Rain? There isn't a cloud in the sky. Well, they're all hiding behind the mountains waiting for the football game to start. Ozzie, <laughs> if you'd rather go to the football game, don't be afraid to say so. Oh, you can go to a football game anytime. I want to go to the art exhibit. Uh, uh, Harriet, you made the wrong turn there. The art exhibit's to the left. You're going to get into all the traffic going to the stadium. I've decided I want to go to the game instead. But I thought you wanted to go to the art exhibit. This is the last day, and a promise is a promise. Harriet, I won't let you make this sacrifice. I made you a promise, and I'll stick to it. Dear, when the rules of living were drawn up, there was one rule that headed the list, and it supersedes all other rules. Harriet, nothing is more firmly established than the obligation to keep a promise. Oh, yes, it is. A woman's right to change her mind. <laughs> but I want to go to the art exhibit. You'd better quit while you're still ahead, Stanislavski. I might change my mind again. Well, what about the boys? Oh, they're going to meet us at the stadium. It seems they met Emmy Lou, and she convinced them they ought to hike down there. Harriet, are you sure you honestly want to go to the football game? Oh, definitely, dear. I want to go to the football game. I want to go to the football game. I, I want, want to go, go to the football, in just a moment. Hey, that was a happy ending, if there ever was one. But, you know, I sometimes wonder what it would be like if women didn't have that unalterable right to change their minds. You don't believe in it, Mr. Smith? Well... Oh, you think a woman should decide one thing and stick to it, no matter what? Well, uh... Even if she's just about to buy a certain silver pattern, and then discovers at the last minute that International Sterling's Joan of Arc is back again, and buys that instead? Well, uh, Hey, did you do that? <laughs> uh-huh. And it was the best change of mind I ever had. Golly, it was wonderful to find I could get Joan of Arc again. I've been waiting for it for years now. You and thousands of other women. Joan of Arc is one of the most beloved patterns International Sterling ever created. During the war, when it wasn't being made, the postman brought scores of letters to International Sterling, each one asking for its return. And now, in answer to those requests, Joan of Arc is back, as lovely, as magnificent as ever. 
Oh, and Mr. Smith, I found out something when I bought my set the other day. I didn't have to pay for it all at once. The international dealer had a special payment plan, specially suited to my own budget. That's right. So you see, right now is the very best time to buy that silver you've been dreaming of. Joan of Arc, solid silver with beauty that lives forever. Created by famous international sterling. Boy, did we have a good time today. It was neat, boy. Well, what happened to you guys? I thought you were going to meet us at the stadium. We went over to Will Thornberry's instead. But I thought Will's father promised to take him to the game. Well, he did, you see, but he fell asleep on the couch and Will didn't want to wake him up. Anyway, by the time the picture was over, it was too late. Picture? Yeah, we were watching a picture on television. It was real neat, boy. Tarzan of the Apes with Elmo Lincoln. <laughs> Tune in again next week to another adventure of Ozzie and Harriet, starring Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. And remember, the solid with beauty that lives forever is international sterling. Yes, Harriet, the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is international sterling. Appearing in support of Ozzie and Harriet were John Brown, Tommy Bernard, Henry Blair, Janet Waldo, and Lorene Tuttle. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy May. This program originates in the Hollywood studios of the National Broadcasting Company and is also broadcast over the Trans-Canada Network of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. This adventure of Ozzie and Harriet will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Friends, one day very soon a neighbor of yours will call on you for a contribution to your local community chest. And I hope you'll contribute generously. Because the service they render to your town or city is really tremendous. Homes for the aged, free medical care for the poor and sick, summer camps for children, work for the handicapped, all these worthy causes are helped by your local community chest. And because your community chest can treat problems as they arise, they're prevented from spreading and affecting the welfare of the nation. So when that doorbell rings, give all you can, won't you? Remember, everybody benefits if everybody gives. This is Burns speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Here's Walden. That was The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet from October 17, 1948. I'm Wong Hughes, and may the good Lord Jesus Christ bless you. And this is Yesterday, USA. If you would like to get in contact with Walden, his email is walden1 at yesterdayusa.com. His studio telephone number is 714-545-2071. And his home address is 2527 Duke Place, Costa Mesa, California, 92626. I am Kim Bragg, and thanks for the memories, Walden. Cheerio, toodaloo. Thank you so much.
Hi, this is Bill Bragg, and if you need a good announcer, don't hire me full-time, because now I'm working by the word. Word spoken for sale or rent, attached to email and quickly sent. No agents or union dues, Bill Bragg is one cool dude. Send your copy via email or fax. He'll record it and send you the tracks. Bill Bragg's the best you've heard. He's king of the word. Putting me to work for you is as easy as one, two, three. Start out by faxing your copy to 972-889-2FAX. Then dial 972-889-TALK and listen. If you like what you hear, I'll send it by email. You can even pay online with a credit card. Voiceovers or SOTs. His big D voice is guaranteed. Is coming second or third, Bill Bragg is king of the word. Prices start out at 25 cents per word with a minimum of $50. Yesterday USA, Superstation. Well, thank you, Rudy Stark, for getting us started off right here on our tape number seven. And, of course, uh, Walden Hughes, who finished things up. Tape number seven for the two-week period that began on the 11th day of February. That's what you've been listening to. We want to say thank you to Tony Fournier for $10. Bruce Forsberg for $50. Leonard Ellenberg for $10. Dan Hobson for $60. Michael King for $5. John Kopp for $10, and Karen in New York for $10. All of these folks donating money to help Yesterday USA keep on keeping on. There's two ways to donate money. Visa, MasterCharge, American Express are always welcome right here online. Just come to Yesterday USA, click in the bottom left-hand corner where it says Donate Money Now. It's a safe, secure site. And don't forget you can send in cash, check, or money order. Our mailing address is 2001, that's 2001, 2001 Plymouth Rock Drive, Richardson, Texas, R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S-O-N. Richardson, Texas, the zip code is 75081-USA. Also, uh, don't forget uh, big live broadcast tonight and every night, seven nights a week here on Yesterday USA. I'll be coming your way Monday through Thursday, along with my candy from Fort Worth. On Friday nights, it's the man you just finished listening to, our walking encyclopedia of old-time radio, Walden Hughes, along with the living legend of old-time radio, Frank Brzee. That's right. Frank Brzee is on live every Friday night at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Also, uh, Walden comes back on Saturday and Sunday night with an all-new lineup there as well. And speaking of new lineups, don't forget the Saturday-Sunday lineup. You need to listen all day Saturday and all day Sunday because we only play those shows one time. And our 16 tapes, of course, will be rotated during this two-week period, Monday through Friday, for two weeks starting February the 11th. Well, that's our story, and we're sticking to it. Thanks for your support and your generosity. Don't uh, forget to help us out because... We need your support, and we're depending on it. Thank you very much. (laughs) 